scripture reading today comes from Colossians first chapter, ninth verse through the fourteenth verse. Colossians one chapter Colossians one verses nine through fourteen. And the scripture reads, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord to us. I grew up in a church called First Baptist Church of Woodland Park. Now I know none of you have heard of that church. I know none of you have heard of Woodland Park. Kenny, it is a small, rural, out-of-the-way community in which this small, rural, out-of-the-way church exists. But even though we were small and even though we were rural and out-of-the-way, we still had our traditions. We had our liturgy. We had our culture of worship. And one of the things that would happen every Sunday without fail, midway through the service, there was listed the pastoral prayer. Pastoral prayer. I hated it. Like I hated most things in church at the time. Midway through the service, what the pastor would do is that he would announce that anyone and everyone who needed prayer, and basically that was everybody, that they were invited to come down, to get out of their pews and to come down and to gather around the pulpit as he began to pray. We'd get out our seats and make our way down, and the crowd would gather And the pastor would pray. Boy, what a burden that was to me. But as I look back on it now, I count it an undeserved blessing. That the pastor would gather the saints and pray for them. Basically, what we have in our text this morning is a pastoral prayer. Paul, essentially, is here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to pray for the saints that are gathered in Colossian, and he offers up his pastoral prayer. His prayer is that they would essentially take root, and bear fruit. 
take root and bear fruit. As you can see there, that design, isn't that good? Somebody ought to make that a t-shirt. What you think, Kat? You think that'd be a good one? Take root and bear fruit. Paul prayed, beloved. You see that in verse 9, don't you? He prayed. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Ever since, Paul says, ever since that we have heard of the testimony of the saints in Colossians, ever since that we have been made aware of the church that is gathered there in Colossae, we have not ceased to pray for you. To pray for the faith of the saints, to pray for the challenges that the saints were facing. In other words, he says, we have put you on our prayer list and you have never been removed. Because Paul believed in prayer. One thing you know about our brother apostle, he believed in prayer. His epistles are littered with prayer and reminders to pray. In fact, beloved, I would submit to you this morning that the most gracious and loving and kind and selfless act that you can do for another person is to pray to God on their behalf. And that's why Paul was an intercessor. He didn't just pray for himself, beloved. He prayed for others. He prayed for others. He was comfortable in asking people to pray because he knew that he would pray. It's amazing, amazing if you think about it. Just take the time to consider this, beloved, that you and I have an open invitation from the God of the universe to pray to him for help. You have an open invitation to pray to God for the help of God. And Paul understood the magnitude of this truth and he didn't squander it. He prayed. He prayed. He prayed. Now, don't get me wrong and don't misunderstand, beloved. Paul, in this sense, was just like you and I. When he prayed, he was often disappointed in prayer. At times, God didn't do what he wanted God to do. At times, God didn't move when, God, when he wanted God to move. But unlike us, disappointment in prayer didn't cause him to stop praying. But it caused him essentially to pray even more. Why? Because when you are disappointed in prayer, beloved, and God doesn't do what you want him to do, when you want him to do it, it is because you are not understanding the will of God. And that should cause you to pray even more. Pray to know his will. Pray to be contented in his disposition and his disposals of our lives. And Paul not only prayed for himself, but more importantly, he prayed for the Colossians. 
His prayer was that the gospel would take root and that the gospel would bear fruit. He already said in verse 6, if you look back and see it, that the gospel was already taking root and bearing fruit in the world. It was going out and it's spreading. And by the Spirit of God, the gospel was, was taking root in the lives of men and women. And it was bearing fruit in those lives. And essentially, Paul says, the same thing that I've seen in the world, that I've heard about in you, I pray that the Lord would continue to take you deeper so that he might lift you higher. That those roots would go deeper. So the fruit would go higher. Taking root and bearing fruit. That's what the gospel does, beloved. When the gospel comes and is rightly understood, the gospel takes root. And this is what the gospel does. When the gospel comes and is rightly understood, the gospel bears fruit. This is the point of Paul's prayer. Now is the point of Paul's prayer, beloved. I want to submit to you this morning that this is the hope of every spirit-filled and spirit-led pastor in any spirit-led and spirit-filled church this morning. Is that the people of God would have the gospel take root in their lives. Having taken root, that that gospel would therefore bear fruit. This is the plan and purpose of God for his redeemed people. In Isaiah chapter 37, verse 31, speaking of those who were kept through the exile, and the Lord is going to bring them back in, a remnant of the house of Israel. He says, shall again, this surviving remnant of the house of Israel, shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Take root downward and bear fruit These are the two aspects, beloved, of the work of grace in anyone's life. There is the root and the fruit. There is the root and the fruit. There is first the invisible work of the Spirit in a person's life. That work that is done below the surface. Down in the secret, hidden parts of anyone's life. There's a heart work, a work that is changing a heart on the inside in the daily progresses and slow, steady prodding of prayer and fasting and reading and meditation. And then, because of that invisible work, there blossoms the visible work. There is that outward work that is visible for all. The fruit, the labor, the service, the love, the giving, the sharing, the results 
of the inner realities of the invisible work of God and the application of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul prayed for. This is what Paul prayed for, roots and fruits. His prayers, beloved, were not superficial, but they were spiritually substantive. I would suggest to you that if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, Paul, what are you praying for? Or better yet, Paul, how can I pray for you? What would he say? I'm trying to buy a house. You give me this new, I pray, Lord, give me this new home. I need a job. I'm praying, I'm praying, the Lord, give me a job. Pray for me that I get this job. My neighbors are just acting up, man. Pray, pray for better neighbors. Pray somebody move them out, somebody move in. I need a new car. I need a wife. We're trying to win this ball game, man. It's a big one, you know. It's a big one coming up this weekend. You know, please, please pray for us that we win this ball game. Now, beloved, before I go any further, I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not saying that those things don't matter to God because they, they do. But I want you to realize this morning that the Bible's emphasis is not on those things. The Bible's emphasis is upon your growth and maturity in Christ. This is why Paul prays for roots and fruits. Paul's prayer is for the work of the ministry of the gospel in the world and in the church. In fact, beloved, in fact, it is in growing and maturing in the gospel, taking root and bearing fruit, that you understand the will of God for all those other things. And you can understand if you don't get new neighbors, if you don't get a job, if you don't get that new car or a husband or wife or children. That you understand the will of God for those things that you and I want immediately when we are established in the gospel and it takes root and bears fruit. Paul prayed not for health, not for wealth, but first and foremost for the gospel, that it would have its way among the people of God, that it would take root, and that it would bear fruit. And the gospel does that, brothers, brothers and sisters, it takes root. You see that in verse 9, how does this prayer go? And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will 
in our spiritual wisdom and understanding. The foundation of Paul's prayer to the saints is that they would be filled not with the Spirit on this occasion, but that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I pray, essentially he says, I pray that you would know God's will. Now, beloved, if you would know God's will, let me be clear this morning, that if you would know God's will, then you will need to know God's word. So Paul prayed, essentially, beloved, he prayed that they would be filled with the word of God. And he prayed, essentially, that the seed of that word would be planted deep down in their hearts. That's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. He says that the seed is the word of God. And that word of God which, is the, which contains the gospel of Jesus Christ, when that word of God is planted deep down in the heart of God's people by the Spirit of God, God's will begins to be revealed. This is why Paul says in Colossians 3 and 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you what? Richly. Let it dwell in you Deeply, let it get down in you and let it take root. And that's what the psalmist says in Psalm 119.11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Isn't that the point, beloved? Does the word of God get down into a heart that it takes root? And as it takes root by the work of the Spirit, the will of God begins to be revealed. You want to know the will of God? You need to know the word of God. And the word of God needs to dwell in you richly. I'll pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he qualifies it then, doesn't he? So he reminds us that knowing God's will is spiritually discerned. And thus, as it is spiritually discerned, as the word of God is spiritually discerned, it gives wisdom and understanding. This is the point. It's not just facts about God, but a deep abiding faith in God. What a lofty pastoral prayer this is, beloved. What a lofty pastoral prayer this is. For you do understand that Paul is not just here praying for smart Christians. But he's praying 
for Christians who would have their minds and their hearts enlightened by the truth that is found in Christ Jesus. He's praying for wisdom, but not just wisdom, spiritual wisdom. He's praying for understanding, but not just understanding, spiritual understanding. And spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding points us to the spiritual realities found only in Christ. The Bible says that Christ is the wisdom of God. The Bible says that Christ is the word of God. You can have a lot of understanding. You can have a lot of understanding outside of Christ, but you'll never get spiritual understanding. You have a lot of wisdom outside of Christ, but you'll never have spiritual wisdom. Real abiding knowledge is spiritually discerned, beloved. And it is not necessarily the smartest one in the room. Albert Einstein was scientifically rich. He was spiritually and morally bankrupt. Bertrand Russell and John Paul Sartre and James Baldwin and others like them are men with brilliant minds and geniuses in their own right, but lack spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding because James chapter 3 and verse 17 tells us that spiritual wisdom is from above. This comes from above, beloved, and the substance of it is not facts and figures. The substance of it is faith. Faith in Christ. which is able to make you wise unto all things. My life has been filled, beloved, with men and women whose wisdom, whose wisdom has helped to direct the course of my life, and they wouldn't know a theological treatise if they woke up with it. If you mention Augustine, they're going to think of some city in Florida. If you mention Aquinas, they may remember there's a college in Grand Rapids. If you say Calvin, they're going to say, oh yeah, and he has a pet stuffed tiger named Hobbes. But beloved, their wisdom and spiritual understanding is not based in those things, but it's based in a relationship that they have with God. And they were filled with the knowledge of God and our spiritual wisdom and understanding because they knew something. And you know what they knew? They knew Jesus. They knew the Lord, and they walked with him, and they talked with him, and they heard him tell them that they were his own. This is what Paul prays for us, too. 
you would have a relationship with Jesus that would cause the word of God to come alive. And you would have spiritual wisdom and understanding that the world knows nothing of, cannot give, nor take away. We have not ceased to pray for you that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that it would take root in you. Because if it takes root, it's going to bear fruit. It's going to bear a fruit. If it takes root, Paul says, this gets down in you, then our prayer subsequently is that you would have a walk, that you would walk, in verse 10, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is the, the word of God and the will of God buried and hidden in the heart of the people of God will eventually show in the hands of God's people. Did you hear what I said? The word and the will of God buried in the hearts of God's people will eventually begin to manifest itself in the hands of God's people. Where there is root in the heart, there will be fruit in the hands. Notice what he says. So you would walk in a manner worthy. Walk worthy. Walk in the Bible, beloved, has to do with lifestyle. That your lifestyle would demonstrate who you are in Christ Jesus. This is our prayer for you. Prayer that you would know the will of God that you would have spiritual wisdom and understanding because the word of God, by the spirit of God, has been enlightened to understand the Christ of God. And when that is true, then the matter of your life and your walk is one worthy of that calling. It's lifestyle, it's lifestyle. Paul says in Ephesians, Chapter 4 and verse 1, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I like how the New Living Translation puts that. It says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. To lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 21. Folly is the joy to him who lacks sense. 
but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. This is the point, beloved. This is the point of the word of God and the will of God coming and therefore having spiritual wisdom and understanding. It is to bear the fruit of walking a straight line. Walking in the will of God, not being tossed to and fro, not being blown off your mark by every wind and whim of doctrine that blows through. That you are a Christian. That you are a Christian. And the name of Christian must mean something. It must mean something, beloved. You belong to Christ. And that has to have meaning. You are a Christian. And you claim to know the word of God. You claim to be those to whom God has revealed his will. You are a Christian. And you have been brought in by the Spirit of God into fellowship with Jesus Christ. That has to mean something. That has to make a difference. Now, beloved, understand, you don't earn the favor of God. But once you have the favor of God, you should live like you are favored by God. You don't earn his favor. But we live in the light of that favor. you would have a walk that is worthy of your calling, beloved. Walking that is worthy of your calling, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. Paul's prayer, that you would live pleasing God. You would live pleasing God, walking in a manner that is pleasing to God. Well, what pleases God, beloved? Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. And so we understand then that we can infer from that that faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. In fact, Romans chapter 8 and verse 8 tells us that your flesh cannot please God. That you will not please God in the flesh. And so when Paul is saying here that you are to have a walk that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, he is saying not to be walking in the flesh. Be walking in the spirit. Trusting and believing upon Christ. That's what pleases God, beloved. In fact, this is all that God has ever asked his people to do, is to believe him. And those who please God, trust God. 
It's not that they don't make mistakes. It's not that they don't fall down. It's just that they believe God. They trust God. In John chapter 14, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you believe in God? Believe also in me. That's it. That's all you have to do. You believe God, believe in Jesus. That's all God has ever asked his people to do is to trust him in the midst of whatever is happening in the world and in your life or however you perceive things with your physical eyes, trust Jesus. Trust him. And you'll have a walk that's pleasing to him. Beloved, contrary to what somebody might have told you, God is not hard to please. He is not hard to please. We just short on trust. N.T. Wright writes this. It is we with our little faith who have imagined God grumpy and hard to please because we have such little faith. All that he requires is that we place our trust in him. You and I can trust him. Therefore, we can please him. And when you trust God, please him. Beloved, you bear fruit in every good work. There may not be a more gracious prayer that you can pray for another brother and sister than that you pray that they would bear fruit in every good work. I know they want you to pray for their job. I know they want you to pray for their home, pray for this relationship, pray for this. Pray for that. You get on your knees and say, Lord, I pray that they be filled with the knowledge of your will and that in whatever circumstance they find themselves, that they would please you, trust you, and bear fruit. Beloved, I don't think there is anything more loving and gracious you could pray for another person another brother and sister in Christ, and that they would bear fruit. Well, this is God's will for us, beloved. In John chapter 15 and verse 8, this is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How do you know that you are a disciple of God? Jesus says, by your love for one another. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Pray for one another that we would bear fruit and therefore demonstrate that we are the disciples of God. This was Paul's prayer, beloved. This is my prayer for you this morning, that you would bear much fruit. I pray, beloved, I pray that the Lord would keep us from pain. I pray that the Lord will keep us from loss. But somehow I know that that prayer is not going to get answered. There will be pain. There will be loss. 
But the greater prayer is that you and I would, in the midst of it, bear fruit. Because the gospel has taken root. You can always know, beloved, you can always know just how deep the gospel has gone down. When the, when the shears of pain and loss and disappointment and frustration begin to chop off some of the fruit. Will they blossom again? Or will it wither and die? Withers and dies because there is no root. But if there is a root, beloved, the shears of pain and loss and disappointment may cut it down. But let the sunshine of God's grace and the watering of his mercy and soon and very soon you'll see the sprouts of fruit once again. And you'll know those roots went deep. Paul says, Jews can bear fruit in every good work. Every good work, beloved. I read that and I'm reminded there is work to do. There is work to do. Do you realize, beloved, and I want you to hear this. Do you realize God woke you so you can go to work? The Spirit of God woke you up so you can go to work. Now I know what you do. You do just like I do. You roll over and you look and you hit the snooze button. But it's time to go to work. That's why he woke you up. So that you would bear fruit in every good work. And too many of us, beloved, awakened by the Spirit of God, we just roll over and say, no, give me 15 more minutes. And then, beloved, God woke you so you can work. It's time to go to work. Now, the only question you have to ask yourself before, and we're about to wrap up, so we're not even going to get to those other verses. We'll get to those next week. The only question you need to ask yourself, who are you working for? Has he woke you up to work? Who are you working for? Now, how do you know who you're working for? Well, Brother Eric, you know, if they come to work, what should they have on? They better have on their uniform. When you work for Chick-fil-A, you know who's working for Chick-fil-A because everybody in there got a Chick-fil-A uniform on. If he comes to work without his uniform on, you are, you are, you are, they're making you aware that they're not ready to work. They're still sleeping. God woke you up. You know what he said to do? Put 
on Christ. Get dressed. Put on Jesus so that when you go, they can know, oh yeah, he works for Jesus. There's no doubt about the uniform. They see the fruit. And they know who you're working for. I'm a Christian. I'm trusting Jesus. And that means something. And so I put him on this morning. The Lord woke me and I got dressed. And it's time to go to work. See my name tag? Christian. Christian. See my uniform? It's Christ. You see the labors of my hands. I love and joy and peace because I am seeking to bear fruit in every good work. Beloved, who are you working for? Have you got dressed this morning? Or better yet, did you wake up? Let's pray.